So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. Taylor Baker from Drink in the Movies, joined again by Anna Harrison, our special Marvel correspondent, back with me to discuss all things Spider-Man No Way Home and uh, Guillermo del Toro's newest film, Nightmare Alley. Thanks for joining me again, Anna. Yeah, thank you for, is, is Marvel correspondent my official title now? I thought it was a joke, but you've used it twice. It's both. Um, okay. There's no way to deny that it's true, but we haven't formally filed any paperwork. Okay. So it's well, really just one of those things where if you just push it, then right, no one's going to say it's not true. Well, it's well, already really happened. Right. I, I will be expecting a raise once I file the paperwork, just so you know. I, I look forward to that paperwork coming across my desk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be there. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, so initial impressions of these, uh, these titles we're going to be talking about after we get to first impressions. Spider-Man No Way Home, Nightmare Alley. What do you think? Well, as a professional shill for Marvel, I very much enjoyed Spider-Man No Way Home. And I also liked my Nightmare Alley. I was expecting, I, I liked it more than I was expecting to. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the cast was very good. It looked beautiful. Um, in terms of enjoyability, Spider-Man takes the cake. But what, what can you do? But I like both of them. They're definitely going for two different vibes. Yes, um, entirely. I <laughs> um, but before but we they dig both into, have Willem Dafoe, which they, is a plus. I would say that they might both have Willem Dafoe. Okay, he was in the trailer. He was in the Spider-Man trailer. That's yeah. not a. He he might have been. He might have. Oh been. my god, that's not. They uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, before we dig in any further to either of those, uh, let's start with first impressions. We're going to go through and view the trailers for Everything Everywhere All at Once, as well as Dog. Let's start with Everything Everywhere All at Once. He's waiting in the wings. The universe. He speaks of senseless things. Is so much bigger you than you realize. Places I could be. I just want to just share with you. Remember our mission concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. All right, Anna, that was the trailer for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once from the Daniels. What do you think? That looks great fun. I'm thrilled to see data from the Goonies on the screen again. Uh, that's very exciting. And yeah, great cast. Uh, looks really fun. Does not look like a Russo Brothers production. I say that with love, uh, but it looks way more interesting than that. However, it is a Russo Brothers production. 
So it's good to see them branching out a bit. Yeah, I knowing the Daniels uh, a little bit, I would suspect that the Russos are really just a source of funding rather than right. a source of creative inspiration. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, so the the Daniels previously made uh, Swiss Army Man, um, mm-hmm. and this shares a lot of the tonalities um, of the absurd, farcical um, stylings. It's uh, I don't know that I'm that intrigued by the story it's going to tell, but I'm looking forward to the amount of fun I may have watching it, um, which is kind of similar to what happened when I was watching Daniel Radcliffe play a, a zombie fart jet ski that yeah. Paul Dano wrote or wrote around on in uh, Swiss Army Man. So it's interesting. I don't know about um, Jamie Lee Curtis's villain. That seems a little bit um, like too on the nose and farcical as I was watching it, but seeing Michelle Yeoh um, play all these different um, versions of herself looks like it's going to be really fun yeah um anything else looks like a great fun roller coaster thing looking forward to it those are my thoughts all right let's move on to dog i need to get back in the game sir you want to get back in the game prove it sergeant rodriguez was a legend family funeral sunday outside of nogales they want his dog at the funeral you do this and you're back in the game she won't work with anyone. One minute she's good, the next minute she's sending three guys to the ER. What's up, dog? And you're gonna go on a little road trip. Easy. What are y'all so scared of? Come out, big time. <laughs> what is your deal, man? Maybe just take the crazy down one notch. Hey! No, 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 no! No! You're just a demon. You're just a demon! All right, Anna, that was the trailer for Dog, Channing Tatum's directorial debut, along with Reed Carolyn. What do you think? That looks like a dog movie. Feels like, you know, there's going to be some tension with the dog and then they're all going to work it out and they're going to learn something along the way and it's going to be heartwarming and very perhaps a little overwrought and whatnot. But I think Channing Tatum is hilarious. Um, So, you know, uh, depending on the reviews, I might check it out. It's not something that immediately grabs me. But, you know, I'll keep an open mind. Okay. I like the uh, the lots of different noises. Uh, well, you know, that's sometimes... That's definitely emblematic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sometimes it's just hard to properly articulate things. So, you know, you just have to... No, I think you nailed it. I think that's uh, definitely... If I wasn't so interested in him as a performer and artist, I'd probably overlook this. I'm especially yeah. surprised that I think it's only getting a theatrical release. It doesn't look special um, really visually. It has kind of the same cues that we've seen in the Magic Mike films of the naturalism, but it doesn't have Steven Soderbergh's prowess um, mm-hmm. of getting those to do a little bit more than they do. But these side characters, uh, one of which is played by Jane Adams, who is always terrific and steals the show. Even in movies I don't like, like She Dies Tomorrow, like her scenes are just really uh, overwhelming. And there's the uh, the friend from My Name is Earl um, who has that small role. I think that the, uh, the story, though, seems a little bit contrived uh, yes. at the beginning of this trailer. Um, we're introduced to the premise of him coming to train a dog. And then somehow over the course that we don't see, he goes from training that dog to embarking on a Pacific Northwest trek uh, where he just walks the whole way down to a 
funeral for her master. It just makes no sense. And we already saw the footage of the funeral. So we already know he makes it. So unfortunately, this trailer like undercuts a lot of its um, senses. But I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in the comedy and I'm interested in seeing if he can pull this off, not just as performer, but as director. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I mean, to be honest, I don't think the people that this movie is trying to attract mind much if the trailer spoils what happens in the end because like the point isn't the plot it's like the dog and the cute human dog bonding or whatever and like you know you bring your tissues and you're like oh my god dogs great you know whatever yes yeah the more mass market appeal of it uh, you yeah. know I, I take umbrage to the fact that you don't think that I'm someone interested in this movie though because it is a directorial Sorry. debut and those are those are always things that I like to find the next uh director that i'm gonna fall in love with um so that i just want channing tatum to do 23 jump street like i'm not even gonna lie i think i think he is hilarious in this they're doing I think there should be another spin-off one. now and i know that he's producing it with jonah hill but i don't think there will it's be another one same. but there should it's be not the I same i agree god yeah um all right well if there's nothing else let's move on to spider-man no way home excellent spider-man is all but invincible Parker, we can destroy him. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone. But together we can. You are not alone. Peter. You're struggling. Have everything you want. While the world tries to make you choose. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. I want to help you. Remember, kid, with great power. All right, Anna, you've seen Spider-Man No Way Home. I've seen Spider-Man No Way Home. We are going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. And to do that, we actually have to exclusively talk about spoilers because the entire film is built on what would classically be called spoilers. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, please proceed to the Nightmare Alley review. Um, and otherwise, Anna, let's get started. Spider-Man right. No Way Home. Bad movie, right? You didn't like no. it? No. Don't put words in my mouth. Don't <laughs> gaslight me. No. I obviously, of course, as predicted, had a great time. Um, not just because, I mean, you know, spoiler alert they brought back toby and andrew and willem dafoe and alfred molina and jamie fox and all these people uh, which was great um but they also managed to fold them into a way fold them into the movie in a way that served the mcu spider-man and also like for andrew especially wrapped up some of his hanging arc threads um and it's going to inform the story moving forward it wasn't just pure fan service and well it was Okay, it was, but it was fan service in a way that did actually have bearing on the plot and the story and the character arcs. So I I might be able to meet you partway on some of that stuff. Okay. I think that um that I I also liked a lot of what you're saying, but like the idea that the multiverse occurs and then they didn't like I would have much rather seen everything we saw and then one more that we've never met, like a Spider-Man that was never a Spider-Man. Because otherwise, yeah. this just rings as thorough fan service. There's no surprises here. It's things that and characters but that we the, already know and have seen. 
but the thing is i mean like the fact that these are characters that we already know and have seen and have seen them grow or in andrew's case get cut off uh rip but that makes it so much better for the story because we already have all that knowledge coming in and we understand if you've seen it more weight yeah but you know it is the assumption if you're seeing that movie that you at least have some knowledge, even if you're not, if you if you haven't seen everything, you at least know that Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man at one point, right? Right, but I can I can point to Into the Spider-Verse for an, an eloquent way of introducing multiple characters yeah. that were never introduced before that people are not familiar with from a film and still having, you know, gravitas and moments of, you know, emotionality even though you didn't have a previous history with them and i think that the fact that they only relied on fan service entirely and that they didn't even pay off the biggest lead into this it which maybe you'll disagree with but i i think that the biggest like easter egg lead in was the venom movie and the way that they handled that disagree. was just really annoying <laughs> disagree i mean there's there's never like there's never i don't think it was ever on the table for him to actually fully appear in this movie in a way that really wasn't exactly what happened. Yeah, no, there's, that's, I don't think that's just, that's just not going to happen. Um, so I think this was the best way for them. To is there a it. reason why? I think or is just, that just it's weird Sony, weird Sony Marvel shenanigans. And the fact that like, you know, there, there have been things where Amy Pascal has been like, yes, Venom is in the MCU and Kevin Feige's had to be like, no, 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 he's not, he's not. Um, so this is a good way to actually bring like a symbiote symbiote into the MCU and not also deal with Venom because then that's like too much. I mean, honestly, because it's also very confusing for, I think, just, just the way that Sony and Marvel have handled their like branding for the Spider-Man stuff where Sony's like the Sony spider, they haven't even really done their own thing in the marvel spidey is like mcu spidey but then there's also the sony one with venom and morbius or whatever that's just really confusing so i think this where venom was just in the after credit scene and they left the piece of venom behind is the best way to do it without causing just it's too it's too much to keep track of honestly okay so this is over my head is it going to be another venom or is it going to be a different symbiote that i don't know about unsure Okay, so you, I don't know. that's not for sure yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have preferred Tom Hardy uh, in the MCU. That's my personal preference, but... I mean, I would love Tom Hardy in the MCU, but... I guess I get the the Sony yeah. and, and MCU uh, head budding. It's just the end of that and the, the end of Venom and the way that that Easter egg played. Like, I really thought that he was, like, at least going to be, like, in the movie proper, not just relegated to an Easter egg at the end, um, which bummed me out. And you know, the fact that there's no toe for grace, I mean, come that on. is a crime. Honestly, <laughs> that is a crime. I think they should have put toe for grace in there. Best villain of Spider-Man three. I'll say it. I'll be brave and say it. I, so you, you rewatched, uh, most of the Spider-Man movies before I the watched all of them. So I actually okay. hadn't seen the Sam Raimi ones until like the past couple of months, I'd seen the Andrew Garfield ones, uh, but when the Sam Raimi ones came out, I was like the, you know, the first one came out when I was like three or four years old. So I didn't see that. And then my parents, no one that I knew was really into Spider-Man at the time. And then, uh, you know, I only started liking superhero movies with the Avengers, which was the first one I saw in theaters. And then I just never got around to watching the Raimi ones. And I, so I did that leading up to this. Um, so now I have the full 
picture and and did it um did it play better for you knowing everything that happened very fresh did absolutely did you feel like that that made a big difference yeah Um, absolutely so uh when we did the first impression um i'd expressed concern about the direction of alan watts and and you john uh, john sorry not alan wow Um, wow he's a bigger deal to you than me um how do you feel about it on the other side do you think he improved his direction that it was about the same or that he took any chances or risks that you were surprised by um i don't know i mean i don't know if the biggest chances and risks were really like very more story driven it wasn't like there wasn't a cool a really cool visual sequence like there was in far from home with mysterio there wasn't anything like that it looked mostly like the other spider-man movies but where it's going story-wise i think is really good um and i thought the way that he had toby andrew and tom all bounce off each other was really great i really like that i think he gets the he gets the the banter between characters i think that is very he does that very well well so you mean the way that he was presenting the banter because he didn't write it right 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 no i just mean the way that like it's staged and the way the actors are performing it like because he didn't write it yeah yeah um so i mean starting from the beginning you're already at the end uh what do you think about the build-up of how they're dealing how they set up the multiverse you know everything that happens i mean you know mcu magic shenanigans don't think too hard about them honestly i was having a good time uh it's nice to see you know especially having just watched the sam raimi andrew garfield sam raimi and then mark webb's spider-man movies uh they're definitely you know the the kids the kids spider-man peter parker is supposed to be in high school and then sam raimi's goes on to college but it's not really talked about that much ever and then the thing i think one of the things that has separated the MCU one is that they actually really emphasize the fact that he's a kid, that he's in high school. So then the beginning when they were talking about college admissions and everything, um, I liked that because it actually shows, you know, he had to apply and he doesn't just like magically appear at college one day and it's not a big deal. Although I, they only showed him opening three letters, which I'm like, buddy boy, you do not just apply to three colleges, but whatever, that's an aside. He might not be that smart. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and then... I loved, honestly, I think I, I love seeing Dr. Strange because I think he's shaping up to be my favorite phase four character, just because I, th- I think he's a very interesting character. And I think Benedict, Cumber- Benedict Cumberbatch um, is very good in the role. So I really like seeing him uh, in this. It was an understandable, I don't, I don't know. It was really, f- I didn't have any huge issues with it. I thought it was fun, great. Well, why don't, do you want to set up what happens? Okay, I will set up what happens. Peter is public enemy number one because J. Jonah Jameson has unmasked him. And so uh, legally, as my best friend, Matt Murdock, played by Charlie Cox, explains in great fashion in one scene, and he stole the show. I love him so much. I'm so happy he's back. Um but it can't do much legal. Anyone, no one can do much legal action against Spider-Man, but all he, he and his friends are getting rejections from college admissions because they're like, we don't want to touch that. So 
in order to rectify this, uh, he Peter goes to Doctor Strange and says, hello, can you do a spell to make everyone forget I'm Spider-Man? And Doctor Strange says, yes. But then Peter says, oh, wait, actually, can you make it so, you know, my Aunt May remembers and my friend Ned remembers and MJ remembers and all these people. And so that messes up the spell. Doctor Strange shut the sp shuts the spell down, but a little too late and things went awry because then it's pulling in everyone from the multiverse who knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. It's pulling them into their universe. So that's how we get the introduction, reintroduction of Green Goblin, Doc Ock, and Sandman from the Raimi movies, and then Lizard and Electro from the Mark Webb movies. And then around the halfway point, maybe, uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire also come in as their respective Peter Parkers. And yeah, yeah there that's, you, there that's you a have good it. summation. Um, so you dropped a little thing in there about how your favorite phase four character is the wrong Benedict. And I just got to say that the correct phase four favorite is the actual Sorcerer Supreme. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should not have disrespected Wong like that. Uh, that's, no. that's my personal preference. I actually don't know who all the phase four characters are properly, I guess, currently. Um, and I'd probably be more convinced by someone like uh, Wanda than yeah. um, most of the other ones, just because of her um, like real stakes of like, who she is in her psyche I, I find that complex character a little bit more intriguing um to my sensibilities but mm -hmm. um no i i think that the film is a little, little bit more thoroughly presented than i uh was expecting which was a pleasant surprise the the cinematography was really consistent um i think it's the first time that he's worked with a cinematographer whose name is maro fior and um he'd previously done um I think Southpaw and uh, he worked on Avatar and um, Smoke and Aces, the island. So he's been with a lot of different auteurs. And so I think that he brought a little bit more visual distinction to oh, the cinematography know, himself. Yeah, I am remembering this is I mean, this I there are definitely like I, I just remembered um, that shot where it's Peter standing in the rain and there's like the uh, billboard electronic billboard thing of mm -hmm. J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. talking and that that shot i do remember that was that really stood out to me i thought that was really lovely a, a lot of like, just, like the standing in the rain shots. crying yeah work mm -hmm. in in a way that um i don't remember them looking that intriguing before like they looked a lot more sophomoric yeah. and this i mean at bottom it is what it is but I, I still think that visually it was a lot more composed than it had been um in my previous experience with these films i thought that the there was some extra bloat to it. Um, I mean, there's there's a crucial moment which happens, which you did not get into. But, uh, you know, all these people come into this world and he has to try to imprison them and so that they can deploy a cube to send them back home, essentially. Yeah. And uh, Marissa Tomei's uh, Aunt May wants Peter to cure them um before he sends them back so that they don't die because they were all brought here as they were dying or dead um that's kind of unclear and left up in the air and so within all that context is this idea of kind of superimposing the gravitas that Topher 
or not Topher, Toby Maguire's Spider-Man had to begin with. <laughs> the gravitas that Topher Grace's Venom had. Yes, exactly. I agree. Um, no, Toby Maguire's Spider-Man, I mean, I grew up with those, so they left much right. more of an imprint on me, but like there was a great emotionality to that line the first time it's delivered. And we get that that line delivered here again. Um, so with great power comes great responsibility line. Exactly. And yeah. it just rings really shallow the way that it, it was presented. I, I didn't feel like it was earned and it was really, uh, it just felt forced on the screen. But honestly, I gets killed no, by Willem Dafoe yeah. Green Goblin. That is a sick fight sequence though. Like Willem Dafoe, oh my God, he was amazing. Obviously it's Willem Dafoe. He was amazing in the first Spider-Man, but like without his mask and you could see all his just batshit facial expressions mm-hmm. and he was just like just wrecking Peter I was I mean I wasn't rooting for him obviously but I was just I loved watching that I loved watching him I completely Um, agree there's uh there's this thing we do at the Seattle Film Critics Society where we have to vote for the best villain of the year oh my god and I've been like I don't even know what the best villain of the year is like the whole year and then I mean he's not in that much of the movie but I was like like Willem Dafoe is like yeah. when I think of villain and I think of 2021, like this is the villain I think of. I don't give a shit about like any of the other villains really in all the movies that I've seen. Yeah. Um, he's just so memorable. And that the the arc of his smile and how sinister and high oh, yeah. he can get the sides of, of his mouth is just chilling. Yeah. And that, uh, <laughs> hold on, two things. One, the scene where uh, Peter you know, his spidey sense goes off and he senses that something's wrong when all Mm -hmm. of the villains are just hanging out and he like is walking through them and then figures out that, yeah, the, you know, Norman Osborn is what, what does he say on the, in the first Spider-Man movie? He's like, Norman's on sabbatical Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, that was my terrible impression, but, uh, Norman is dormant and the green goblin is, you know, out ready to cause mayhem i really liked that scene i thought they did the spidey sense i thought that was really cool in this movie um there's also a moment where dr strange um, astral projects peter and you can literally see the the spidey sense like in the comics they're like little wavy things above his head just really faint that was that was really cool but the other thing i was going to say is that i feel like the with great i mean i i agree that the line i was uh, kind of like okay whatever but the line with great power comes great responsibility at this point I feel like has been memed so many times it has been stated like over and over I do think it would be hard not saying they couldn't have done better but I think it would be hard just in general to have that line really land because it already has and everyone knows it and it's so predictable at this point um not only did it land it's iconic I mean you you watched the original trailer like when that line is delivered, it it fundamentally becomes the essence kind of of the character, doesn't it? Like right. it just works in a very deep way where it's like, it's a writing problem. Like you just shouldn't have tried to make this thing like that thing at that level. Yeah. You know, yeah. have her the, talk around it, have mm-hmm. him be a little bit different. Yeah, I agree because they, they did that um, in Civil War when he's first introduced. Uh, they did a very similar thing. They He said- uh, oh gosh, what did you say? It was basically like when you can do the things I do and you, and you don't, the people that get hurt, get hurt because of you. It was some, it was a line like that. And it's basically the same thing, but it was said in a different way. So which rings a little bit true. Yeah. Right. So people could understand, okay, this is, 
his version of that speech, but it's different and it works really well. Um, so I, you know, I kind of thought they were never going to do that in this, this MCU Spider-Man. And then they did, and it was fine. I didn't, it just, I, I think it really, for me, and I can only speak as me, like it removed a lot of the emotionality of the moment because they were forcing another emotion to go with it. And like, if you would have just let Marissa's Tomei, Marissa Tomei's Aunt May pass in that way, like it, it's really sad. And it's yeah. really sad because of Happy and that relationship, which was never explored in the other Spider-Mans to my knowledge yeah. um, of that character. And I think that that just adds another beautiful layer to it. And we already like had everything we needed from her goodness. Like the reason he's trying to do the right thing is because she'd asked him to, she, she doesn't need to say that line to yeah. build that emotionality. So I, that's, you know, writing wise, that's, that's where it clunked for me. Yeah. Um, no, but, I mean, that's fair. Cause they definitely were like, oh, we have to have someone say this. So let's but give they didn't. Aunt May our uncle Ben moment, which, but it didn't, it did not, I, I didn't care that strongly about it. Uh, Cause I don't know. Again, I also wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up with the Sam Raimi movies, so I wasn't as emotionally attached to that line. Most of my knowledge from that line would have come from memes. Gotcha. So, yeah. Different you know. experience. For yeah, me, I for think sure. they always released on May 3rd, which is incidentally my birthday. So they were my oh, birthday wow. movies when I was very young. Um, mm -hmm. So I've got a, a particular affinity to that Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally understand that, though. Um, so I Tom Holland, what do you think of his performance? I thought he was great. I thought this was, I, I think he's consistently been really good. I think this is, I think this is probably the best he's been. He was also really good in No Way, or Far From Home, I thought. I, he definitely, I mean, he, I think he's a great Spider-Man. He holds his own very well against Toby and Andrew. Although Andrew Garfield, just talent-wise, is just a cut above everyone. And Every single person, really, besides yes. Willem Dafoe and Marissa yes. Tomei and John Favreau. N everyone. Yeah. No. Uh, those everyone. those three. They're also very good. I I am a slight Andrew Garfield fan myself. Ah, nice shirt. It says "Tick Tick Boom" on the. It does. I, this is uh, bribery from the Netflix people to uh, try to get me to vote um, for that. <laughs> I'd vote for it. Um. Yeah, he's terrific, and the. Yeah the softness of his voice and the emotionality of his eyes. Like you just, he can get you to feel things just by talking. And mm. I really love uh, Toby Maguire. I really think that Tom Holland is very competent, but neither of them can make me just swoon emotionally <laughs> with words um, and start to feel and resonate in totally different ways and just talk about Emma Stone's character, whatever her name was, oh, Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Um, that killed me. Oh, right. Man. Just, just get you right in the feels. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that's, that's a, a credit to him. I, I do think Tom yeah. Holland um, was doing a little bit more believable work um, with his dialogue acting than he's done um, in the other Spider-Man movies. I think, <clears throat> the aging is starting to catch up though yeah i'm glad they're going to college yeah i'd, I'd like to see them skip whatever's next though and just go to like year two or three like we we need yeah. to catch up and get these guys a little bit older it's yeah, kind I of agree. hard for me to believe that um jacob what's his last Catalan? name yeah that he's really that young like it's, yeah 
and his his wig is a little bit um difficult to buy yeah, into the wig these was, days the wig was not good not good in this movie <clears throat> um yeah, yeah. What, what do you think about the happy arc um wait i had something else to say about andrew garfield really Please fast because i just i love to talk about him um no i was just gonna say that this really i genuinely believe that if he had been given better writing he would be why like everyone would think he was the best spider-man because i think he's just fantastic and i think this really just made me sad because i saw him in this movie and then i was just thinking back to the amazing spider-man 2 and what a kind of mess that was but he was always so consistently good throughout and it just really made me bummed because he also you know if you like if you watched a bunch of interviews with him as i have done you know i have not done that i well, definitely have i not. have i like what it's a whatever uh it's too many i've watched too many interviews with him but like he seemed very passionate about the character and very sad when that when the amazing spider-man 3 and all their build up to the sinister six or whatever just completely fell through um so i'm really glad that he has gotten a chance to be this character again and also i think his peter uh had a very nice end cap because he you know where he in the amazing spider-man 2 failed to save gwen stacy and she died and it was terribly sad and i'm still upset about it but he in this one when zendaya falls off something and tom holland spider-man goes to catch her but then he can't andrew garfield's the one who goes in catches her and then he starts crying when he lands on the ground and i was just, i was in my seat and i was about to cry myself i was just like oh my God, well, there's I mean, there's a just... line right it's he asks her are you all right and she says yeah. yeah are you all right i know and then he says yeah and starts crying i think that's what yeah. happens and it yeah. just yeah he's a heart melter he's just god it just it's just really the un, the injustice of of it all of how the amazing spider-man movies had the such a banging cast and then threw it away just makes well really, they were really poorly uh, written and they yes. were really clunky um from yes. what i remember no um, you are exactly right am so, i spider-man 2 not good and then they made a bunch of i mean the fact that they were making jokes about those movies in this movie was pretty funny i thought you know when they were like uh jamie fox how did you get to be this way and he was like uh i fell into a vat of electric eels and then, but then also Sandman from Spider-Man 3 was like, hey, I fell into this pit of sand or whatever. And then Don't the lizard fall was like, things. yeah. And then the lizard was like, uh, Jamie Foxx, Electro, didn't you have a comb over and bad teeth? Which is not, which they just make a joke about it and they don't address it again, which is hilarious, I think. Um, anyway, I got sidetracked by Andrew Garfield. You were going to move on though. Oh, you were going to ask oh, I was happy. Moving on. I just wondered um, what you think about the happy through line because he really is actually... And a very smart choice, I think, kind of the underwriting uh, theme character of the film. He's the guy that is where they're living, that's allowing like this moral mission to take place. And he's the one at the end that has to not only process the grief of someone that broke up with him that he's in love with dying. He also has the sensibility to like a dad, tell him to run. Yeah. <clears throat> And yeah, I just think that he's got one of the more interesting arcs. Yeah, I love Happy in these movies. Um, I thought, you know, in Far From Home, when he comes and picks up Peter in that tulip field after Peter got 
whacked by Mysterio and they have that really nice scene on the plane. I thought that was really nice. The it, I did really like how in Far From Home, because he and May had a little flirtation with that, but it was mostly treated as a joke. And here it's still, you know, it, it opens with May breaking up with him basically. So it's still kind of treated like a joke, but then they use that to actually give him a lot of uh, uh, pathos, emotionality, yeah. you know. So have- hold on, in Homecoming, wasn't, wasn't he chasing after like- her there too? I haven't yes, seen it in a long time, right. but I could have sworn that he was like, I think you're right. He was immediately yeah. infatuated and he, he was like ignoring um, Peter. And then as soon as he's like, this is your aunt, like he was, let me introduce myself. I'm going to step in the house. <laughs> I believe that. I cannot recall, though that's kind of embarrassing on my part. I should be able to recall. Well, you, um, you would have watched that quite some time ago and you would have watched a lot of marvel movies since then that's true i guess i can't remember him in homecoming well he's representing um tony right and like he's in he's bringing the suit in that ends up being the suit that he vanquishes or whatever survives germany or something yeah he takes him to germany and then they peter's trying to contact him i don't remember him and mate talking whatever it's a moot point I believe you. Either of us could be right. I don't even know what I'm saying. But uh, my point is, happy is great. And I'm glad that they actually use this kind of joke thing to give him a nice arc, like you were saying. And it broke, oh my gosh, at the end, when he's standing at May's grave, it broke my heart when he was to Peter. He was like, how did you know her? I was just, I was really upset. I was so upset. That was really upsetting. That that um that unfortunately didn't work for me. That that was too on the nose. Was that upset. was too uh overtly structured for that um whole play. Um lame. You know, sensibilities are sensibilities. Um Zendaya, um, Jacob, Battleon, they have uh, you know, this buddy relationship going with uh with Peter and romantic for for mj's um role but they're they're all trying to play like these cohesive friends did it seem kind of gratuitous at at any point to you or or did it all work i thought it all worked i mean i don't know just you know that's i don't know i was just thinking about all my high school friends i'm that was i feel like that's exactly what we were there was no interdating in my high school friend group but i mean i think what do you mean by gratuitous? Like they were playing into it too much? Yeah, like every single conversation they had was playing into the stakes that they'd already set up every single time. Like they were never, you you never in these movies really just get them hanging out ever or just talking. Like there's always a secondary purpose for dramatic effect to foreshadow something or to reference something. They never interact just to have an interaction. And I... I especially over the arc of the movies, like it's just starting to to ring a little bit hollow where, you know, these are just the people that he goes and talks to in between the sub objectives until he gets to the main objective of the movie, like every single time. And I just wish that there was a more sincere engagement of these people's identities and who they are. Um, but that's, you know, okay. For each one I mean, of those, I also appreciate the fact that Andrew Garfield had to clean uh, the the cobweb on the top of the ceiling. 
<laughs> yes, bless him. Well, I think Homecoming, from what I can recall, did have a lot of Ned and Peter kind of at least enough to be to where the audience would believably think, oh my God, yeah, these are best friends and I feel it. So I think that's carried over. Um, I think MJ has gotten a lot. I think the um, the past Far From Home and, and No Way Home added, I think, a lot to her character from, because she wasn't really a huge presence in Homecoming, but I think Far From Home and No Way Home did do a good job of adding to her character, even if it wasn't always focusing on her, but it was just the little things. You kind of got a sense for her. And I also, I like Zendaya as a performer. I think she was good. So I didn't really think about that, but also, I mean, that is a common criticism of Marvel where it's like, you know, all of these conversations are just building blocks to the next big action set piece or whatever. There's not a whole lot of room for the character to just kind of breathe. And I did think that throughout this movie, it was, I mean, it was just because it, it is such a big movie and they were just going like foot on the gas pedal basically from the first minute. So I understand. I think that's a valid criticism. I totally bought their friendship though. Yeah, it's, it's not even that I don't buy it based on the buildup. It's just like for the essence of this film, which is just this film, mm-hmm. it, it just, it really reads like quest objective. And I, so I'm, I'm a long ways away from homecoming, but I remember, uh, or I remember myself remembering that I thought that most of the interactions that he was having with Jacob were like always building up this idea that like he doesn't know that his best friend is spider-man like that was always kind of the the subject at the bottom of all the conversations and there's things that i like um even though i didn't respond well to black widow where there are actual conversations between florence and scarlet where they're just talking and it doesn't serve i mean maybe it fills in the backstory but it doesn't actually serve the narrative proper to have these conversations. And that's something that I I wish that we'd see a little bit more of just this naturalistic conversation. Um, Yeah, I, I agree. I do think though, I mean, you know, I personally, I think Tom and Jacob and Zendaya all play super well off each other. So I was fully prepared to, you know, even in the conversations where they were just espousing plot points, I still liked the chemistry that they had and I was still feeling their actual relationship going on. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. My point is, I think even though the writing was very kind of, here's the plot points that we're going through. I think they performed it in a sense, in a way that allows you to get a more holistic picture, even if the writing does not necessarily support that. that I think I can. Yeah. I I think I mostly agree. Like I think that they're all, talented performers and that what they were performing is my problem but i think that they did their job as well as i could expect them to um so we've kind of we've we've gotten around to most of it um there's you know one more thing that we need to go over before we get to the finale and that's only because you love succession and there is one succession character within this uh what did you think of uh Arian's uh character agent Cleary and was he fun in his limited moment did you have a good time great fun I had a blast I was really upset because my uh the the two friends who were going to come who watched succession didn't end up 
they weren't able to come. And so I, I saw him cause he was in the trailer also, but I saw mm-hmm. him and I like poked my head out to go and tell my friends. I'd be like, Oh my God, it's Stewie. And then they weren't there. And I couldn't say anything to anyone. And I just had to lean over to my other friend who was there. And I'm like, that guy's in succession. He's really good in succession. <laughs> and my friend was like, I don't, I care. Really, like, I don't care, <laughs> but I love that. Also Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso in the after credits. Scene. Oh, that was very exciting. Um, so two cameos, although Stewie had a bigger, a bigger role than Danny Rojas, but I thought he was great. I, I don't know. I think Arian, Mo- I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Moye, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where he's from, but it's, uh, I, I would guess it's Moyad, but if it's French, maybe the D is silent Moyad. I have no idea. Well, he's Iranian, I think, but Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, Aaron, if you're listening to this, uh, my bad. Anyway, I think he's just a very fun actor and very watchable. So I was having a blast. I was having a blast. Awesome. Um, so there's a climax that occurs. The lead up to that, which you've already slightly addressed, is this wonderful moment that is comprised of great direction to the actors, to the cinematographer, to the the editors on the back end making this spidey sense thing come alive mm-hmm. we put this thing on uh jamie fox's chest to do something with power and we in the audience start to get this like queasy off feeling and the sound of this thing as it charges up and pulls electricity from his body sounds extremely nefarious the higher it gets yeah and um it it ends up that uh you know these solutions which are have their own problems um and that they're not explained at all other than a fabricator um they they potentially end up being nefarious i actually don't know if that that um thing that was pulling the electric charge was actually going to you know destroy the room or or what it was going to do or not do you no, it it wasn't i mean it was trying to make jamie fox not electro are you anymore. sure I'm pretty sure because he, the reason he rips it off at one point, because that's when he's like, okay, actually I still want this. So I'm not going to have So let me specify. Do you know when Willem Dafoe went from um, Norman to Green Goblin? Like specifically? Yes. No, but because there's the the potential that that's a bomb being charged from his electricity to attack them. Right. I think you're reading too much into that you think so yes i i thought I that do. um it was it was pretty unclear over like when exactly he turned because um he gets that eerie feeling i think when he's back in the fabricator room yeah. working with peter um so you you didn't have that reading at all i've talked to somebody i didn't completely agree with me so interesting. interesting i did not get that at all i genuinely thought it was pulling the electricity from electro so he wouldn't be electro and that he just decided to you know he was like well screw it i don't want to deal with this anymore i still want to have all that power and took it off but i don't know i need to i need to rewatch it because i've only seen it once i mean it has only been it is saturday right now and i saw it on thursday so it's not like i've had you know oodles of time to see it again but i will see it again i'm sure multiple times and i will watch that carefully 
Yeah, keep keep my interpretation in mind. And if I'm wrong, okay. I'd love to know. I it's just it, it was mainly cued in by the sound and the way that it was ticking up and the nefariousness that was I just, happening around yeah. there. But eventually I just figured the nefarious the nefarious sound was just to build the tension as Electro kind of realized that he didn't want to actually lose his power. But mm. I might admit that maybe in this one instance I could have missed something. Well, simultaneously, Maybe. probably uh, not. Like in the same moment that he's taking that off, we're finding out that that Norman is Green Goblin now, right? Yeah. So there's there's two things happening as those sound cues are occurring. Um, so all that to say, um, they'd cured Doc Ock and they hadn't cured anyone else. They were in the middle yeah. of curing Electro, and then everybody kind of dissipates. There's these fight scenes. And eventually we go to the Statue of Liberty, which is holding up Captain America's shield. Lord, I saw that and I turned to my friend and I said, that thing better fall down. And it did. Yes, so, it, it was uh, about that. Mo- moving environment stages, kind of like yeah. Mortal Kombat. Um, so at that final scenario, we have our three Peter Parkers, Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. And we have all the villains and they're going to cure all of them after they go and make a bunch of cures without any specificity about what they're doing. You, gotta, you just got to roll with the roll with the flow. <clears throat> I will respectfully disagree, but I understand the sentiment. I mean, I feel like every single superhero movie, MCU or not, has this thing where it's just, you know, you don't want to waste your time explaining science that isn't real. So they're yeah, just going to pretend if that they would just say fine. like what's happening or like what it does at all, you know, instead of just sticking a syringe in and magic occurring, I'd be a little bit more able to buy into what I think is the cool thing, which is that um, Peter is supposed to be scientific and technologically yeah. like solving problems. Um, but this is a great giant set piece. It has fantastic action. Um, it introduces um, uh, Ned Leeds. That's Jacob's character, right? As yes. someone who can potentially do magic in the future. And he has a gate and that's how they, they get um, to that location and chaos ensues what do you think of this chaos i had a great time i loved watching the different spideys flying around and i also think it was interesting you know it was they would catch little things like andrew's spider-man when i was re-watching the amazing spider-man movies i noticed that he was just a lot more acrobatic and how he swung through new york and he was striking a lot of different poses and whatnot whereas toby and tom are just kind of swinging like it's cool but it's not super flashy andrew had a very flashy way to swing and he did that that you know they they used that in the fight and i thought that was really nice to just kind of uh differentiate the different spider-men and you could you could always tell even when they had their masks on you could almost always tell who was oh yeah and it was, I thought it was really interesting and I thought it was great fun. And I thought watching them play off of each other was amazing. And there's one scene, like one moment in particular where they're all like, they all come together and are doing their webs a bunch at the same time. I cannot remember where it is. It was towards the end of the fight scene. It was one particular moment and they were all coming together and I was just like losing my mind. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I had is that against maybe Electro? Is that the second I, to last guy they put down? Yeah, I think it might be. 
um that was really cool that was very cool i had a blast yeah that's that's where the choices are the most exciting is this action cg stuff where it actually like is really engaging and it Mm -hmm. normally wouldn't be um so as much as there's these other choices like with the writing that i don't like there's these other visual choices that are really competent and and well instructed especially for having to do post-credit stuff and having to shoot the cinematography and then put it in later i think that they seemed that together really well yeah I also, Tom's final beatdown, Tom Spider-Man, his final beatdown of Green Goblin, I thought was really good. I really liked that. I just looked, there's, there was one shot where he does a, he, he flips Green Goblin. I can't remember exactly what happened. That was really cool. And then of course the moment when he raises the shield to, you know, kill Willem Dafoe again, Hopefully this time he would aim higher than the crotch because in the first Spider-Man, he literally just gets hit and it it looks like he just got stabbed in the genitals and then dies. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. I'm just saying the truth. So, so all gentle, it. gentle correction. But, it's not a shield. It's a glider. Sorry. Did I? Oh, I didn't mean to say that. It is a glider. That's my bad. That was just a It's the Green Goblin slip glider. Of the tongue. But course, I, I agree. It is. Um, well, I'm not talking to you as so much as uh, the people that might be imagining it. Um, That is one of the greatest moments I think of this Spider-Man trilogy is Mm -hmm. the action sequence, the action cinematography, the build of emotion, even though they floundered Aunt May's death in a sense by having her say that line. Um, There's all that underwriting emotion that, Mm -hmm. that still existed. And they paid that off by really showing him go there and that the only thing yeah. that kept him from going off that ledge is the other peters and yeah. that just really i think is a great way to to do it it's just once again i wish there was another peter that we'd never met i wish there was another villain that we'd never met that was like big in the comics you know from different runs like i, I really just wish they would have introduced a little bit more flair and not been so focused on this nostalgic um motif yeah i don't know i bought into the nostalgic motif i didn't care but the moment when uh excuse me tom raises the glider and then toby catches it i mean everyone in the theater went wild obviously obviously because it was like oh my god and he gives him that one look and then Mm -hmm. he puts the glider down and i was like damn and i'm gonna be honest um i didn't love peter parker in the raimi trilogy just I could not connect with him I thought he was a little whiny baby sorry I think that's also I think it is very much a product of the early 2000s I think if I had seen that in the early 2000s when it came out I'm sure I would have been all over it but watching it back now I'm just thinking to myself you are stop grow up also MJ terribly written boring their romance sucks sorry but the best part of those movies obviously it's the villains like Green Goblin, Doc Ock, fantastic, fantastic. But this moment when he catches the glider and gives Tom that one look, I was like, okay, I actually, I buy this now. I like this. And that was really nice for me personally. And then also, you know, there's that bit earlier in the movie where Andrew's Spider was talking about how he, he said something like, I stopped pulling my punches after Gwen (laughs) died, which of course we never got to see because we never got a third movie with him. Uh, But in this so, version of our multiverse, you just right. got to go to a different one, Anna. Right. Uh, but 
so that was also a nice way to have him uh, just a nice way to say that okay yeah no no he also understands he has also gone through this and so I don't know it felt really nice because it felt Tom Tom Spider-Man got an arc Toby's got less of an arc but he was still it still did tie up some loose things uh you know he was talking about he was talking to Andrew he was like you know don't lose hope about working it out in a relationship so it's implied you know he and MJ no he says overtly that me and MJ are figuring out how yeah. to make things work right exactly for us. so yeah so he's yeah. saying that it can work and then Andrew gets to wrap up his arc uh, through the implications that, you know, he, he was in a darker place and now he, but he, then he catches this MJ. So now that's his arc. It was just a really nice way to tie all three of theirs in a bow, which was really good because both, even though Toby did have a trilogy, it was still also kind of cut short, uh, mm-hmm. through Sony, whatever. And Andrew obviously only had the two movies and they had a ton of buildup and then none of it ever paid off. So that was really nice to have a little end cap on that as a final like yes here you go we finally we finally followed through on these instead of just leaving y'all hanging for years and years and years i really enjoyed that no i i agree i i haven't watched them all recently so i was not getting the same payoffs that that you were but there was something that rang very pleasant to my sensibilities of watching Toby become like who he was always kind of working toward being, which is mm-hmm. like an adult. Yeah. You know, like he was very much not an adult. He was a whiny yes. kid. And like yeah, that was the so point annoyed. he was supposed to he was supposed to build up into becoming an adult. And he was the most adult of all of yes. these Spider-Men. And yeah, I think that that really shows off and like the uh just like small touches about how he's in plain clothes and you can't tell that he yeah. has the suit under him there's little things and touches that i think were really clever and really made me buy in that these were still the characters that they were supposed to be yes even though i hadn't seen them in years myself mm-hmm. um so also, that's a really quick aside mm-hmm. i just the scene where andrew cracks toby's back killed me i love that 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 was amazing it's a good scene all three of them had such a nice had such nice chemistry between everyone i love that so that that builds up to a few different things so we've talked about the the narrative proper we've talked about the film now there's annoying questions for you that i don't uh have any idea what they are so i'm just asking them to you like what's next do we see a team up spider-man movie with these two like they weren't sent back right um they were sent back they vanished into the they said they said poof yeah but how do we like do we know for sure that they're not going to be in the same world and you know can we get a buddy spider-man movie (laughs) we probably could i think this is another thing where marvel loves to be kind of not open-ended because they definitely this is sony are different but it's marvel and sony working together you know well with those two properties isn't it just sony or no yeah, so I mean, for this movie specifically, you know, but but yeah. yeah, so those others are just Sony. But I think Marvel is leaving the door open where if they wanted to bring them back into their Marvel, they could. I don't know if oh, gonna follow okay. up into anything. Just in the you know, because now that 
the multiverse is open, you can do whatever. So if they see this reception and they're like, oh my God, we really want to bring that back. I feel like Toby probably wouldn't, but Andrew, maybe, I don't know. Andrew is the like, Spider-Man. Like, the I, like I know them, <laughs> like I know them personally. I know mm-hmm. exactly what they would do, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, yeah, wait, what was, what's next? Did you also, were you asking? Yeah, I, so I was asking what's next, but it sounds like you have a totally different read on this where I was thinking that since these are Sony characters and Sony properties and this was, mm-hmm. I'm guessing going to make a lot of money, like you could just have them not go back to the world that they're supposed to and then just do like, a buddy spider-man movie if you wanted to like what's but if they're not going back to the world they're supposed forward? to then that's the main mcu so that wouldn't be just sony so the only way it could be just sony is if they go back to their only the amazing spider-man world or only their sam raimi world from right so if they both went into the sam raimi world say oh, okay that's what you, you know saying. what i mean okay yeah i i was just thinking like you know how does sony maximize this because capitalistic tendencies are that after great success you will maximize this and since marvel the mcu proper um well it sounds like you might have a different reading i i didn't think would bring them back um or i didn't think that it would you know be a strategy to bring them back but yeah in general what does this mean next what's happening now i mean to be clear i don't think they will bring them back but they definitely could just because now that the multiverse is open there are all sorts of shenanigans to get up to Honestly, I have no idea. My feeling would be that if they do, if Sony does follow up on this, it would only be with Andrew Spider-Man just because Tobey Maguire has kind of stepped back from acting. So I don't, I mean, if he wanted to, then that's great. I wanted to like do more. I mean, yeah. that would be great. I just don't know if he would. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's just the two of them so, together would be so I know. pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like 22 jump street you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah one thing though that makes me really excited um is that there's been recently like a lot of discourse on the internet i hate the word discourse but here we are about how the mcu peter parker is not really comics peter parker because he has sugar daddies to give him all this fancy tech and it's not as to use a Dungeons and Dragons term, homebrew, it's not as homebrewy mm-hmm. as Andrew and Toby's were and as he is in the comics. And there's not really an emphasis on him, you know, struggling to make ends meet and, or making paying rent on time. And now that he, this MCU Peter Parker has literally no one, that's now we're kind of going to get the real, the quote unquote real Spider-Man where he is struggling to pay rent and has to work really hard and is very stressed to balance all of this stuff and doesn't have the resources that he got from knowing Tony Stark and Doctor Strange and everyone. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. I also, I would kill, I would kill so many people to have a really good Harry Osborn arc. I would kill, I would literally murder people. So I really (laughs) want them. I really, really, really want them to do some sort of college Harry Osborn arc and actually stick the landing, do all the payoffs, stick the landing. I think that would, because I think Harry Osborn has the potential to be just like the best villain in the MCU verse. I mean, not listen, Willem Dafoe, obviously the goat, right? But 
Well, you're I saying mean, MCU, of, and I'm just thinking like that's a lot of villains. I would have to spend some time thinking about those villains. Well, I just I just think not not the not the best one necessarily, but just I because the potential for all of the tragedy there is just so high. You know, I mean that to it'd be a bit like Loki, who is possibly probably the best villain, because and that's because his arc is very tragic because it's presented as okay these are these brothers and then he betrays him whereas you know it's harry osborne they're best friends mm-hmm. he betrays him i don't really know how that would work because they haven't really done anything with oscorp in marvel world so and they said that the office wasn't there so yeah. i don't know so, what the deal would be right i if they wanted to i'm sure they could i would love that I really want that so badly. So that's what you want, but what do you think is going to, like, what What did this actually set up? What What does the after credits scene mean? What does the end of the film mean when he walks away from uh, MJ, you know, like in the rain? Are, is he- huge Doctor Who flashbacks. Also. Is he going Memory to- Memory wiping, traumatic. Come back and actually pursue her. Is he actually going to go to college? You, you know, like, what do you think is the next step? I mean, I don't think they're going to just ixnay, you know, move Zendaya and Jacob Batalon out of the MCU movies. They might, I don't, here's what I think. I don't know anything. This is just all Anna speculation. But I feel it, my feeling is they'll have a, couple of one or two spider-man movies where he doesn't do anything with mj and ned and maybe just watches them from afar in a non-creepy way and then something happens he finds them again or maybe they probably get their memories back but i think you know i i think they'll probably do a college thing college art because you saw him getting studying for his ged so which also very sad he has to go through high school again depressing um, not actually go through high school again, but you know, he graduated he and test, to yeah. take the GED like, Oh buddy. Um, yeah. And then I guess we're going to get some sort of venom or symbiote thing. So I assume that'll come to fruition at some point. Uh, so I don't, the th- like the thing with Marvel is they'll just set up a bunch of things and they don't know how they're going to pay off. And then they'll just down the road, they'll just be like, Hey, Oh, we did this. Let's bring it back. And I'll just sit there and I'll eat it up. It'll be great. Okay. Um, so the, the second, uh, after credit scene is really not an after credit scene. It's actually like half of a trailer for Sam Raimi's new Dr. Strange film multiverse of madness. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I nailed that. Um, thank you for the approving nod and laughter. Uh, what do you think of what you saw of Sam Raimi's new superhero movie? I thought it looked sick. I thought it looked great. I there are definitely moments uh, in that where I could get you know because Sam Raimi did horror right horror ish stuff. And, yeah, Evil Dead, Evil Dead Part yeah. Two. Yeah. Um, but I could definitely I was feeling that horror vibe, which I know. So they brought in Scott Derrickson for the first one, and the thinking behind that, to what I for as far as I know, was that oh this is a horror guy, so we're gonna make it really kooky and weird and scary and it wasn't it was just kind of marvel standard marvel movie with like a little a tiny 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 bit more flavor um but this actually looks like it's going to be properly not a horror movie but just unsettling referential to a horror film 
yeah. And I also think, um, cause you know, if you watched what if there was that whole arc where Dr. Strange in that became strange Supreme, where he basically ingested all these Lovecraftian beasts and became really gaunt looking. And it was very, cool. okay. it was really cool. Like th- that was the best episode of what if I think was when he, it was the one about Dr. Strange doing that. But it definitely looks like that version of Strange is going to be in this in some capacity, which is very exciting because that's, I think that's why I think he might become my favorite phase four character because I think the capacity for him, because he he's he has like the quippiness of Tony Stark, which I love and people always compare the two, but he actually has a willingness to go out, not throw his morals out the window, but a bit. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he, he can be very, he can be way more callous. Than well, un- unless I misread it. I mean, the other boon of this new Doctor Strange is that there's two of them and one of them appears to be much more evil than the other. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm very, I'm very intrigued. Also, Wanda's going to be in it, which is great. Love her. Yep. I think it's, I, I, I'm very very excited for it. and they're introducing america chavez who is part of the young avengers okay so, so more... another build up of the young avengers potentially yep yep all um, right any last things cool. on that or should we move on to nightmare alley i love andrew garfield what is your name stanton carlisle are you a true medium yes i am mr carlisle doctor that. Please lay down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? All right, Anna, Nightmare Alley. You saw this, I believe, earlier today. I saw I this a uh, little over a week and a half ago, I think. Um, why don't you give us a rundown of the plot of Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro? All right. Well, it's about this dude named Stan. Stan? Yes. Who's played Stan? by Stan? Yes. Who's played by Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. And he takes up with a circus carnival thing. And it's basically about him learning to become a carny, as they say. And specifically, he meets up, he, he works a lot with Tony Collette's character, Zena, Tina, Zena, Zena. Zena, Zena the seer. Yeah. I, I saw this at 1215 today. I really should have a better memory, but oh well. And her and, and Pete, who's played by David Strathairn, mm-hmm. and they do a whole thing where they're, you know, fake psychics, basically. So no, Bradley they Cooper. Did do. Yeah. They did do. We meet them at a point where they don't anymore. And there's like a reason right. why. Well, Tony Collette's still doing it. Pete is not. No, she's just doing tarot readings. They're not doing the, the she notebook has like, stuff well, anymore. She has the cards. Well, yeah, they're not the notebook yeah, stuff, yeah, but yeah. she has the cards where people are like, okay, I'm getting a Oh, the presentation Abigail. thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Very different so, than what he goes on to do. <laughs> yes, for sure. And but what they same, gave up. Same vein, yeah. But so eventually, Bradley Cooper, you were talking about a notebook, so he finds this notebook that Pete had that's basically ways to 
read people and learn information about them and go, uh, you know, convince them that they are, they know what's happening on quote unquote, the other side and they can communicate with people and they know, or if someone's holding an object, they know what object they're holding and what it's made of and everything. And it was all through, you know, verbal code and gestures and everything. So he gets this notebook and then he runs away with Rooney Mara, who plays a girl named Molly at the Carney, at the carnival. She is a Carney at the carnival. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they run away, not run away. They go away. It's not like they're chasing them. They were going to run away and then things yeah. happen and it's not so yeah. much run away as uh, agreed upon departure. Yeah. Uh, so then they have their own show, but then Stan gets caught up with Kate Blanchett, who looks amazing in this movie. Ashley usually does, but she's just- like, yeah, I was about to say, have you ever seen her in a I movie? I know, but she's just, every time I see her, I'm just like, you're so cool. Like, if you just and, go back and watch her in Lord of the Rings, like, or, or as Elizabeth, like, oh my yeah. gosh. No, she's, uh, she's so cool. So, and then she and Bradley Cooper have this very weird psychosexual stuff going on and- she helps him out because she's a therapist and she'll tell him the juicy details on the people that he's talking to. So she'll be like, okay, this guy's son died in the war. And so Bradley Cooper will say, okay, I'm now, you know, I'm speaking to your son or whatever mm-hmm. is going on. And so then am I the, going the full spoiler? I guess this is full spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But in case you're listening and full spoilers continue. Okay. <laughs> so Anyway, so then Bradley Cooper basically gets too big for his britches. And then he tries to talk to this one dude whose name I'm forgetting, but it's played by Jenkins, I believe. Yes. Um, and he that goes terribly wrong. And it turns out Kate Blanchett does not actually really give that many figs about him. And she shoots him in the ear. Which is pretty fun. He kills a couple of guys. Molly leaves him. He becomes an alcoholic. And then he winds up back at a carnival getting, uh, and there's the whole thing. Well, let's let's leave it at that. But there is one of the most memorable endings to a film in this film. Even though I didn't love this movie, it has, I think, the most memorable ending of any piece of film this year yeah that movie that the, not, not, not that movie the ending bumped this movie up for me because I was like glued when Bradley Cooper was just laughing I was like that's amazing yeah <laughs> amazing yeah. um so it's it's kind of a noir you know they're they're it's it's a different style of a noir but it it is distinctly noir it's very sinister for a noir um you know there is some uh overt references to classic films whether it's the original film nightmare alley from 1947 that was based on the novel the year before or uh before that i think 1930s is when freaks came out there's a few moments Mm. that directly references freaks in this film that is very satisfactory and there there's definitely a point near the end where uh, have you ever seen freaks i haven't but that's the one of us thing right Yes. Yeah. Yes. One of us. One, yeah, of one us. Of us. One of us. I do know that. I've, yes. I think I like. And I read that's an essay after about it. Turn, they turn someone into a chicken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which um, there's there's earlier in the film uh, this character called a geek, 
who has to eat a raw chicken as it's alive. And so this, um, this reference that's made later in the film during that, that payoff is uh, it, it's one of the, I think the greatest like spin references of mm-hmm. classic film, especially classic film like freaks. Um, but yeah, it starts off with this great imagery of Bradley Cooper, as you've seen in the trailer, doubtlessly lighting a house on fire mm-hmm. and unceremoniously walking down a grassy hill from it. We don't know what the nature of the, the reason for the fire is. And he boards a bus you know, and arrives at that, that carnival. Um, and then he, he meets Willem Dafoe's Clem Hotley for our second Willem Dafoe, um, discussion this episode. Absolute madman. Also, I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention this during Spider-Man. The wait, can I say this? Cause we said, if you were watching, Spider-Man, yeah, no, we, we can't. So no <sighs> fudge the meme. I'm yeah. something of a scientist as well. That's all amazing. That's all continue. Sorry. Um, so Willem Dafoe is a character um, who offers Bradley Cooper to to come in and take this role, and he slowly um, and kind of unbelievably is is meandering around. This is where the the film really flounders for me. It it chews a little bit more scenery than it needs to, and mm-hmm. um, you it know is, after it feels its runtime. Yeah, after the geek hunt where they move locations and then the geek gets out and he has to chase him down in -hmm. the beginning, everything else that happens at the carnival really until like the first five minutes before um, straight Theron's character passes just feels really unnecessary. And it it doesn't build anyone's character for any real reason. Um, We don't get any emotional payoffs with Ron Perlman. He just serves as this background fake dad character for Mara's uh, Molly Cahill. Um, it, it's really when Bradley is acting, capital A acting, yeah. the, the film comes alive. Definitely those, capital A for sure. Those interactions with, with Kate, um, some of them with Tony. And um, I mean, it's, it's those sequences. I, I think when he's performing the act later in the film that really um, pulled me in. It was mm-hmm. kind of fun to watch him at the the carnival, but it didn't. Um, I, I, it all felt very superfluous. There, there was no yeah. real meaning there. But um, once they get outside of that, it it really picked up legs for me. But I feel like we spend forty five minutes to an hour just kind of chewing that. Um, but I mean, th- there is uh, Mark Pavanelli who plays the major, great, great um, supporting character role he really is memorable as Mm -hmm. someone who sells it um yeah what do you think about that that first portion of the film where we're unlocking just who this uh carney is yeah i agree i the opening sequence is fantastic when he's putting he puts a body in the floorboards and then lights the house on fire i was like damn this movie's going places and then it did kind of stall a lot when they got to the carnival although it was it was a lot of fun an hour (laughs) yeah um but it was a lot of fun because the cast is just absolutely stacked just to watch all those people go at it but uh that wasn't always enough uh also Clifton Collins Jr. was in it and was like barely a character and I was like boo need more whatever yeah he was he was really briefly just a moment but that's that's the thing when you get a I mean, even with a two and a half hour runtime, you don't get enough room for a lot of these characters to breathe, um, which, yeah, it's it's 
kind of disappointing in that number one I love Guillermo del Toro as a filmmaker and number two that's just really like I like a lot of the essence of what he's going for here it just doesn't pay off for me in any real way and um you know other than the cameo at the end uh from tim blake nelson Mm -hmm. most of these cameos don't pay off um like you mentioned um the relationship that he builds with xena i found really interesting i couldn't tell exactly how sexual that was and the way that rooney mara's character molly like never brought it up there there's this weird tonality thing and i have a feeling that there's there's some missing footage on the cutting room floor of more of this um you know romantic triangle or quadrangle almost because of straight Mm -hmm. there and pete as -hmm. well being involved in this um this relationship did um did you find that interesting or was that secondary no i thought it was very interesting i also thought it was pretty funny. I don't know the the transitions that he would use, uh, kind of old timey like zoom in, fade to black. But th- specifically, there's like a scene where Bradley Cooper's in the bathtub, and Tony Collette you is implied just grabs his his crotch, mm-hmm. and <laughs> like then it cuts immediately to black, which I don't know. It's just a really that was really funny. I thought just like a little wink and a nod, like yeah, maybe they had sex but we're just gonna cut to black and keep it keep it pg except the they said fuck many times so it wasn't and it's a rated r film i believe yes yes it is and he didn't do anything like that in shape of water which is part of my part of my many um secondary problems with this movie uh so you touched on one of them which is the editing choices and i might rewatch this movie in a year like in the summertime or something and have a totally different reaction but i just watched west side story the day before i watched Mm. this yeah and that movie is so thoroughly directed yeah and every ending shot is informed by the next beginning shot and the way that yermo just like shoots a block of story and then fades to black and then totally uninformatively continues the story yeah i liked the transitions yeah that didn't work for me the I mean like the the transitions I mean like the when it was the black and then it zoomed in on the circle and then went to then faded out because I felt like yeah that that was like a little old-timey and I I liked that but the actual what he cut to afterwards I get what you're saying yeah it's that he didn't use what is a fun um reference to make a choice at the start of the next scene It, it was very much like very disconnected over here now yeah which i mean it might not be fair because i i think that west side story might be the best directed film of the year like just from start to finish like control Mm -hmm. of what the camera is showing you the audience member and so i'm i'm a little bit uh hamstrung on whether or not my reaction is even correct because of how good good i mean story was yeah that puddle is one of the most beautiful Mm -hmm. pieces of cinema Mm -hmm. that exists and it's a puddle so yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but anyways enough of steven spielberg's very very good i would like to plug oscar nom for mike feist that's all i'm done thank you Uh, sure no i'm really plugging that everywhere um so Rooney Mara plays a secondary character that really has no agency no personality? or yeah. or personality, but then she's supposed to make these big choices to like 
leave Bradley Cooper later yeah. on in the film. And they, they rang for me entirely hollow. I think we missed two years of them after they'd mm-hmm. left the carnival and they're living in that hotel where they perform now. But, um, you know, she's an incredibly strong performer mm-hmm. and I, I just not only felt like she was wasted, but this character seemed like a, like a vignette cutout. It, it had no thoughtfulness to it. You know, Tony Clutt Zena, I think is a much more complex character. Yeah. And Kate Blanchett obviously is the, the greatest yes. character in this film besides uh, Cooper. And she might be better than Cooper, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, Molly as a character just felt very flat for me. No, I, like you said, I mean, Rooney Mara is a great performer. I just, I simply could not bring myself to give a fig about what she did or the choices she made, unfortunately, even though a lot of the movie hinges on them. And I don't know, it just felt like this, something that we've seen a lot before that didn't really add a new angle. Like, you know, there's the, the supportive wife who gets married but then realizes that maybe her husband is not the best and he's kind of manipulating her and using her and I don't know it just didn't I don't it didn't feel it wasn't an original take on that yeah you know it's it's not that you can't present that right like she's an accessory to him and in the story she's also an accessory and there's no self-awareness in the screenplay that interrogates that or right does anything really meaningful with it it just puts her rejection just exists where the plot needs those rejections Mm -hmm. to be to build tensions um and yeah that that was uh really disappointing what did you um so if we narrow it down to the second half which i think we both will have a lot more to say and like a lot more was there anything in the first half besides the chasing of the geek that you really liked other than that opening sequence um i mean I just liked watching Tony Collette and Willem Dafoe go at it. But in terms of specific scenes, honestly, it all kind of runs together. And I saw this movie like five, six hours ago. So it shouldn't, which is indicative of the first half, I think, in a lot of ways. So I really can't name a whole lot. There was that one scene where Bradley Cooper and Mar- uh, Rooney Mara, Mara Rooney, hello, Rooney Mara, are on the merry-go-round and i liked that that's the only thing that's popping in my head right now though okay i so there's two things for me like i think that yermo brought the carnival to life like i really do think he did it just didn't do anything for the film itself yeah it's just something he accomplished and then the other thing for me is the slow um compatriotism that he does pull off between straight there and and cooper that that makes that death actually mean a lot more by the end of the film um Mm -hmm. especially with how the film ends and just the the relationship to alcoholism that is being explored in this film but um yeah so the second half is fucking awesome and much better so and unfortunately the first half is not as good so the second half um the crucial event is that they're giving a performance and he does this thing called making it a spook show mm-hmm. where they're kind of floundering and he gets really personal. And then after they get personal, they have to isolate that person and go tell them that they were performing. And the difficulty with doing that is 
that you kind of undermine your relationship with whoever this person is and their friends. Mm -hmm. And he is supposed to do that in front of Kate Blanchett, who would later go on to give him all these wealthy clients and he chooses not to. And he goes one-on-one and he figures out that she has a pistol in her purse and a fantastic scene, expertly lit, really well shot, really engaging. Um, And that sets up the whole secondary uh, part of the film where she slowly um, Mm kind of black widows him. She reels him in and uh, gets him, you know, trusting her without even thinking about trusting her and doing these little jobs and storing the money that he makes in her safe and her uh, office where she practices uh, psychiatry. And uh, yeah. What do you think about all that? That was so cool. I love that. That first scene where Bradley Cooper is in her office and she starts to kind of psychoanalyze him, I thought was fantastic. That really, once that started to happen, I was like, okay, I, I'm back into it. I'm ready. Let's go. I mean, those are just two fantastic performers and they were amazing. And that that's just, it was such a more interesting relationship than anything that he and Molly had going on. Mm-hmm. And obviously it is supposed to be a lot more sinister, but it, I don't know. It just, the fact that they had such a day being Stan and Lilith is her name, which mm-hmm. you know tips you off kind of, she's probably up to no good, but, um, but their relationship was just so much, just miles more interesting than his relationship with Molly. And I know that he obviously Stan is drawn in Lilith. I feel like in large part because of the, like that edge there, which Molly doesn't have. But like you were saying, there's no interrogation of like, well, Molly actually has these good qualities that we're ignoring. It's literally just this character is so much more interesting. I want to spend way more time with her, but. Well, it's not just that there's the, the electricity, the, the palpable, um, enticement between kate and and bradley that did not exist between aruni and and bradley and i don't know if that was direction wise or if that was actually just uh you know a a lack of chemistry yeah that that existed but watching those two and the way that that kate goes never you never drink Mm -hmm. why do you say the word never you know just the way that she digs her her claws in and really just kind of starts to make him pull himself apart voluntarily for her yep it's just delicious who among us would not voluntarily pull ourselves apart for Kate Blanchett honestly yeah she I, was fan- she was fantastic I, uh, I I can't say that I I wouldn't um <laughs> it it leads into um like a proving sequence where he has to go show what he can do to some friends to build up a reputation to eventually get to um, Richard Jenkins character. Mm -hmm. And one of them that he interacts with is Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. And she is very minor. It's a, it's definitely a cameo, but the arc of this character and the timing of when they flash back to her choice um, is amazing. She'd had a son pass and he pretends to commune with the son and he says that everything's okay here. And, um, I'm waiting for you when you get here, essentially mm-hmm. is what Bradley tells her. And at the end of the film in a very, I, I don't remember exactly when it's staggered, but it's in, it's during, I think that, um, that larger climax where murders are 
happening yes pretty frequent to each other yeah. uh we cut to her talking to her husband about going and seeing their dead son and she pulls a pistol out and she, yeah. she just shoots him in the head out yeah. of nowhere and then she turns it back on herself and mm-hmm. commits suicide and it's it's one of the most um interesting choices in this film is to show the actual effects of the people that that don't know that it was a spook show and making that spook show thing actually have these stakes and understanding what Xena and Pete were talking about like the reason why you can't do this um I I really liked that payoff even though it was minor yeah and that you know because earlier in the movie Bradley Cooper when he was talking about doing keep keeping up the spook so spook show basically and Rooney Mara's character was like no 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 maybe let's not do that mm-hmm. but he was saying oh but think of all the peace we're bringing these people we're, we're really helping them in a way to try to convince himself to keep doing it because he just loved the the, the money trip. yeah and the money and you know it, it was what uh Tony Collette and David Strader were warning were warning him about like you can't do this for multiple reasons, but also you start to believe it's real. And by then, by that point of the movie, Bradley Cooper had totally convinced himself that it, not that he, well, anyway, he had just convinced himself that, yeah, we're actually really helping these people and everything. And then you see that and it's just absolutely, you're just reminded, nope, really not. This you're really just in this for your own gain here. Yeah, but, but I mean, there, really there's a scene. social awkwardness too, where it's like, even though we know he should, we kind of don't want him to because of the yeah. awkwardness that we have to watch mm-hmm. of like him saying that he lied to that. Like, it's just yeah, your it, dead son didn't actually speak to us. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> deal with it. It that's um, yeah. There, there's a few different moments that are very charged with anxiety where we almost want him to not do the right thing yeah. and he doesn't do the right thing in yes. most of those moments uh, yeah. and when he does it it almost feels worse uh for the audience because we have to deal with that anxiety of him admitting what he did mm-hmm. in lying um publicly um so the the ending is a, a pretty fast sequence it relies on um, not just Richard Jenkins, but there's what's his name? Holt McClawley. Oh, his Macaulay, the um, bodyguard person thing. I think it's Holt McCallany. And he is in um Yeah. Gosh, he's in that Mind Hunter. Um, he's great okay, in Mind Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he he plays this bodyguard that's got like complete allegiance to Richard Jenkins' magnate character. And um so Cooper has to not only pull off this grift on Jenkins character, he has to find a way to convince Jenkins to um, force McCallany to allow him to mm. perform this, this grift at the same time. And that's where I think it gets at some of the more intriguing parts of what it would be to be this carny ripping people off. Um, what do you think about that? build before we get to this finale <laughs> no i thought that was really cool i think it's interesting because i think you know bradley cooper become his character becomes more and more comfortable in this role as a, a grifter and 
even though Kate Blanchett earlier had been like, hey, this guy is very unpredictable, erratic, dangerous, Bradley Cooper had just become, Stan had just become so full of himself and confident that it kind of got the audience, at least me, feeling Mm -hmm. also comfortable in how talented he was at this. So, you know, when the tables do eventually turn, it's also shocking to the audience, even though everything, of course, had been leading up to that. But we were so, we were also, I was also hoodwinked by Bradley Cooper because he was so effective. I was like, yes, I absolutely, you could pull this off totally, no issues whatsoever. So I thought it was, I thought it was, they did a very good buildup. I don't know if the payoff, the, the bodyguard did not end up being as important as I thought. I thought that was a little disappointing for payoff, but the, the things around it, I thought were great, except for again, Molly, because Molly says I'm leaving. And then Bradley Cooper catches her and is, uh, and he says no. And then she comes back and helps him basically right away. And there are almost zero consequences for that. You really could have just had her help and then decide to leave after. And it would have been basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a few things. The magnate overall doesn't there. They wasted too much time in the beginning or they spent too much time in the beginning and they didn't actually give a sense of like Jenkins character being this crazy man of great um, import power. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the reasons why The Shape of Water works so well is that they focus on the characters that really matter, even the side characters, and they build things out and they they kind of keep you engaged with things that actually matter at the end the whole time. Yeah. And here they try to build out the world, but they end up just killing everybody. And while it makes it interesting for the main character's arc, it doesn't really inform these things. And, you know, there's I don't know if it's marketing or if it's actually the way that he um, views it and that he wants to continue, but he views this as a prequel to the shape of water. And I don't see how that has anything to do with it. And it doesn't build out that same world. This what's happening here is distinctly not magical. It is Mm -hmm. really effective psychological manipulations and good guesswork and playing off people's tells, you know, things that, um, that, you know, magicians in our world actually are capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all that in, in conjunction with the way that things pay off, it's so um, violent that it kind of overpowers the issues that lay a little bit in the way that it was presented. There's not yeah. enough time for these characters and it's not a quick jaunt. It's a two and a half hour movie. If it was 90 yeah. minutes that, you know, and it was just the second half of the film. I think I'd feel very differently about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I really thought there was going to be a lot more payoff to the bodyguard because there are multiple times where he says, if you touch this man, if you do anything, I'll kill you. I'll, mess up your life forever and then he just ended up getting run over by a car and that was it i don't know it it, well he was ran over like three times yeah i I will say it wasn't it it was pretty brutal like flopped up yes also but i i will say at the yeah the end with the when it suddenly there was all this kind of body horror stuff going on i was vibing with that where it just everything kind of exploded in violence i was vibing with that 
but I also I liked the buildup, but I don't know if it, the buildup was building up to what actually paid off, if that makes sense. Because I was cool with what they were doing, but I don't know if what they were doing matched how they ended it. I don't know if that's making any sense, but in my mind, it yeah, is. Yeah, so you, you like the tension built, but you don't yes. know if what actually occurred right. paid off the tension correctly. Yes, or like exactly. in a yeah, and even an intriguing exactly. way. And I, I would agree because... I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's just a failed grift with a double homicide. Right. And it is really exciting to watch. But, um, you know, this is where the actual end of the movie makes up for a lot of the issues mm-hmm. that I have with, with this climax scene, which is where he's summoning uh, this woman who Jenkins had forced to have an abortion and he makes Rooney Mara dress up as this character and bring her into the park. And, you know, he sets this whole thing up to try to get Jenkins to feel like he's encountered her, but he won't stop. And yeah. he runs all the way up to the figure, clutches her, figures out that it's not her and starts freaking out and threatening to, you know, destroy everything that right. Cooper is, loves and has. And Cooper reacts by killing him very brutally. And yes, then that was icky. <laughs> I, I, I really liked the, the murder. Oh, I, I thought that that was really I liked more distinctive it, images. But I, when I saw conjured. it in the theater, I was like, oh, my God, like I could feel my toes curling. You know? Yeah. As the bone crunching sounds happen. Yep. And, and yeah. then he, later when he's picking a bone out of his knuckle, yeah, it was I teeth was or like, bone. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. That was brutal. But good image. Yeah. Um, and then equally the, the bone crunching uh scenes where he runs over the bodyguard. Yep. Um right, and this is the failed grift. And this is the failed grift is what leads him to find out as he runs to to Kate Blanchett's character, goes to the safe and everything's gone. That's where mm-hmm. he finds out that he was the one being grifted the whole time. Yeah. <sighs> And while I like it, it's just something about the way that the story is structured where it just, even though that's fun, it doesn't make the problems with the movie work. It just makes yeah. that moment solid. Um, yeah. And it leads to this downfall, which had occurred slightly before that, where she'd constantly been putting this whiskey out and he eventually starts taking these drinks. Mm-hmm. And we know because of uh, a story that we're told from Willem Dafoe, that there might be something in these drinks that he might be getting mm-hmm. addicted to. That's more than just the whiskey and the way that this slowly builds into full alcoholism, his complete downfall and eventual um, what happens at the very end of the film. That's like, I, you know, it's one of the most memorable things that happened in cinema this year. And it, it's incredibly intriguing. It's just, there were two hours and 10 minutes that are really um, unbalanced that happened before yeah. that. Yeah. Also earlier, the same thing with the bodyguard, not having importance and just how it just kind of felt like some disparate parts that didn't really add up. Like the, the climax when Rudy Mara comes out in that dress and everything. Mm-hmm. I just think, like, I feel like it would have been much more interesting if Rooney Mara had actually left and there had been consequences for that and he had to deal with it that way. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a scriptwriter and I'm not one for a reason. However, <laughs> but like I was saying earlier, Rooney Mara's first little escape attempt has basically no effect. 
on the plot and very little on the characters because I don't think it adds anything new because we knew that she had been unhappy with how this was going and we knew that Bradley Cooper was going too far in what he was doing. So I don't think it showed a new side of them. You could have cut that out and it could have been basically the same movie, same thing. You could have cut the bodyguard out uh, entirely and it could have basically well, been the I same think movie. the bodyguard makes the interactions with Jenkins more, more charged. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, if he messes up and Jenkins doesn't catch him, there's still someone else that can catch him. That makes it a little bit more loaded with tension, but there are moments of dialogue where he seems to foreshadow or imply things yeah, that, that are no, not never as happens. well, even though it doesn't happen, it's just like nothing related to it happens either. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And until the very end. And I think that that's honestly that a lot of my qualms with this film are because it's a first time, um, writer of a full screenplay working yeah. with Guillermo del Toro here. I think her name is Kim Morgan. Um, yeah, it's Kim Morgan. And, you know, it's it's a solid first effort for yeah. a screenplay, but there's weaknesses here um, that are pretty large in conjunction to the thematic payoffs that occur, uh, especially at the end. Um, but they do pull off one of the most memorable endings of cinema this year. So you mm-hmm. can't be too... Uh, bitter about it um yeah is there anything else on nightmare alley that we should dig into i mean i just love i I know you've already talked about this but that ending shot was just so good and i thought i didn't really it went on for a really long time because it's just bradley cooper realizing what he's become and how he's going to be the exact same person who was earlier in the movie but you know, he's becoming that man. Mm-hmm. And I thought or he that, already did. He already right. did. Yeah. But like specifically rejoining mm-hmm. the carnival and the guy and the guy says it's only a temporary gig, which is what exactly what Willem Dafoe said earlier in the yep. movie. He's like, oh, to entice with the him, drink to say, yeah, it's a temporary gig with the drink and it's laced with opium or whatever. And then the guy does the exact same thing. And then there's just I thought the end, it was just going to be kind of a quick cut to Bradley Cooper. I don't know, fade to black, but just to watch that realization play out for a very long time. I don't know how long they held the camera on his face when this was happening, but it was it was quite lengthy. And then he just starts to lose it and starts laughing and crying. Well, he says that line, right? Like, you don't understand. I'm I'm the perfect guy for this job or whatever. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. he he goes full ham and it's, it's a great moment. Um, yeah, there's a few things about Mara's role where it's either she wasn't the right character or, um, it wasn't written well. And the other one is like, I, I really like Cooper. I think he's a, I've come up on him as an actor quite a bit, but I, I don't know that he played this as well as another performer might have he he's not quite sneaky enough mm-hmm. um and it's hard for me to buy into his ill intent um he he eventually gets me there especially at the end like he he yeah. is a wonderfully talented performer i just wonder if some of this would have played better with a more sneaky or um suspicious character that isn't quite as um you know, handsome actor as he is, yeah. you know? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. I thought he was very good throughout, but I also, I understand that 
and now I'm thinking about it. That's very intriguing. I will be ruminating on yeah. this because and he he has like a square jaw, and it's, you just wonder yeah. if like someone with a smaller square face. jaw, really nice blue eyes. Right, like, was... so Clifton Collins Jr. You know, just mm-hmm. imagine a smaller, more diminutive, unobtrusive, man. yeah, yeah, maybe playing this role instead of you know a a guy that could have gone and been a lumberjack. Like, yeah. you know, he, he could have done whatever he, he wanted to do as far as menial jobs go. Um, so yeah, any closing statements or should we end there? My closing statements are that, I don't know. It was, it was good. Bradley Cooper was great. Uh, Kate Blanchett is so cool. which I've already said like five times. That's my biggest takeaway is Kate Blanchett continues to be the coolest human being. That's, that's if. Just- she is you know her and tilda swinton we don't know that's true that's true i think she's probably actually galadriel but who knows well i mean it depends on which which earth you live in that's true the multiverse uh oh, i was thinking middle, middle earth never but. mind thought you were tying <laughs> it back to the multiverse and spider-man never mind yep well we, we can do that as well um but all right, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me, Anna. I will yes, thank um, you. have you back again in the future. I don't know for what, but I do know that eventually one of those titles will be Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. So we'll at least have a conversation about that, and I'm sure we'll talk about some other movies before then. Exciting. Then you can't even introduce me as head Marvel correspondent, so you're going to have to think of a new title. I'll, I'll work on thinking of that new title. You, okay. you send me the Do paper. some workshopping. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you!